0: It's 2022. We have computers. We have Wikipedia. A huge bulk of all of the knowledge humans have ever acquired is available to pretty much anyone with an internet connection in an instant. And yet, rates of literacy and numeracy among Aotearoa's school students are getting worse. A lot
1: worse. 35% of 15-year-old Kiwis struggle with maths, reading and writing. To break it down further, 19% are illiterate and another 21% only have basic ability in literacy.
0: And this isn't some isolated COVID-related one-off. This is a trend, one which has been exhilarating... For more than a decade, New Zealand's
2: teenagers' scores in an international test of maths, science, and reading
0: have reached their lowest point ever. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, what's behind the appalling decline in New Zealand's rates of literacy? What are the consequences if this goes unaddressed? And how can we turn things around? You're here to talk about literacy, so a good starting point maybe is to define literacy. What are we talking about? It's actually a really good question because people define it in slightly different ways. Dr Nina Hood is a former high school teacher, a senior lecturer at Auckland University and founder of the Education Hub, a non-profit organisation in Auckland which tries to make high-level education research more accessible to teachers and parents.
2: I think if you get back to just the most basic definition, it's the ability to read and write. I think increasingly we're looking at other aspects as part of literacy, so things like oral language, which we know contribute to your ability to read and write, things like digital literacy, so the ability to read and interact online, and also critical literacy, which is getting more into your ability to interpret, analyse, critique different sources of information. Mm
0: -hmm. One thing that you come across a lot in this area is the term functional literacy. That refers to what literacy and how it relates to functioning in society.
2: Yeah. So when we're talking about literacy, and I could think the functional literacy particularly is focused on reading and to a lesser degree on writing, yeah. but it's essentially just the basic level of literacy – you need in order to be able to engage in everyday tasks that you would undertake as part of being a member of society. So that could be going to the supermarket and being able to read the packet of, of a packet mm-hmm. of food to understand what's in it. It could be being a member of a democratic society, your ability to actually vote yeah. and to be able to read a voting paper and have enough literacy to be able to do that.
0: How do we measure literacy?
2: Another really good question <laughs> There are a variety of different ways that we can measure it, but if you come back to sort of particularly school-level literacy and you're looking at some of the big data sets that we have from the international testing, so your um, PISA results, your PIRLS results, if you're looking at reading, a lot of it is based on providing students with texts and different levels of texts and then asking them questions about those texts, so getting them to um, show that they understand the key messages within that text, being able to make inferences from that text. So, those are the sorts of things that we're
0: looking at. You mentioned PISA and PEARLS there. So, these are like internationally standardised measurements and tests, are they? They
2: are. So, the international tests that. Um, so, the PEARLS takes place with 10 year olds and from around the world, and PISA with 15 year olds. And they essentially provide every few years a relatively rigorous, valid standard of a particular aspect of literacy. Okay, Countries opt into it, so not, it's not in every country, but it does provide a really great snapshot of where we're at. It's obviously not the full picture of everything we want to know, either about literacy or about a student's achievement and outcomes in school, but it does provide a really useful measure. And because New Zealand's taken part in both Pearls and PISA since around 2000, We've got data points across you know, 20 mm. years yep. to understand how New Zealand's achievement in literacy is going over time as well. And yes, you can compare yourself to other countries. For me, that's less important mm. to actually comparing ourselves against ourselves at different points.
0: So if, we've, if we started doing these in around about the, the turn of the millennium, we've got, as you say, a couple of decades of research to sort of call upon and compare and contrast to. How are things looking at the moment? Not particularly great.
2: New Zealand's worrying long-term
1: decline in the international PISA test of reading maths and science
2: has continued. So what we've seen, particularly over about the last decade, is a decline in literacy achievement.
0: They're a little bit lower than uh, back in 2015, just a point worse for maths, a couple of points worse for uh, reading and science. Now, the Ministry of Education says that's not statistically significant, but what's happening here is there's been this long-term decline.
2: So what we're seeing is both a growth in the proportion of students at both ages 10 and 15 who fall into the lowest literacy bracket, we're also seeing a decline in the proportion of students reaching the highest levels of literacy as well.
0: So the average level of literacy is going down and the proportion of people who are achieving the highest levels of literacy, both of which are desirable, the people who are achieving the highest level of literacy is also sliding. So across the board, things are worse. Correct. Why?
2: Great question. Um, And the honest answer is we don't exactly know. So we can understand to some degree why things aren't looking great in terms of literacy. In terms of trying to really nut out well what's happened in the last decade to work that out, we don't entirely know. But we've got some things that are going on that might might provide us with some ideas of what's you know why we're seeing this decline. So I think one of the things we know that is that over the last 10 years, the proportion of young people who are reading for pleasure Mm. has decreased.
1: Here in New Zealand, we like to pride ourselves on how keen we are on reading. But is that true? Some of the statistics that have been available recently about reading habits in New Zealand are a little bit concerning. A large percentage, I think nearing 50% of teenagers, don't regard reading for pleasure as something important.
2: And what we know in terms of reading is the more you read, the better you get at reading. Um, So there is something in what's called reading mileage and reading fluency that leads to improved literacy outcomes. Um, So if children aren't reading for pleasure, they're not getting as much exposure to text, so their literacy levels are not going to be improving as rapidly. I think we can probably also um, make some assumptions about the role of the digital and digital technologies over this time. We know that in the last decade, the amount of time that young people and all of us are spending on digital devices has increased. New Zealand teenagers are spending 42 hours a week on the internet, and that's one of the highest levels in the world and double what it was in 2012. And whilst the research is a little bit patchy and we can't draw a causal link, I think we can intuit that there's something going on around increasing uses of devices and decreasing levels of literacy.
0: Well, this is interesting. So 2000, 2009, I think, is pinpointed as a, a point where things really start to slide rather dramatically. Mm. Over that time, over these 13 years since, the use of technology in the classroom has really been championed. And I know that this is something that you specialise in, is the integration of digital technology into into teaching. Do you think that we've almost pushed it too far, that we've come to rely too much on something or see it as a tool that is going to be a saviour without necessarily understanding how best to utilise it?
2: So I think absolutely that latter point. I think often technology is viewed in incredibly positive terms and it is seen as something that is, it can be seen as something that's universally good and going to bring good. And it's certainly true that technology has unbelievable value. We absolutely need to be learning how to engage with it and use it. But what all the research would tell us about the role of technology within education and within classrooms is it's very much a question of how it's being used and how often it's being used. Mm. What the research overall would suggest is that too much technology use within schools is linked with poorer performance And it's also to do with how teachers and students engage with devices and with technology in school as well. That's important. So, on average, students that are left to just engage with devices without the input and support of teachers, on average, tend to do worse Mm. um, than when you have greater teacher interaction.
0: Earlier this year, Nina Hood and co-author Taylor Hewson published a report called Now I Don't Know My ABC pretty much a stock take of where things are at with literacy in Aotearoa. They wrote, Literacy is of critical and growing importance. And, I guess that sounds a bit like a truism, but is it? There have been pushes in many sectors recently to simplify documents and interactions with agencies to make things more accessible. There are so many... Jobs now, which are much more removed from reports and sheets of paper and IT and coding and graphic design, isn't the world, in a sense, more forgiving now to someone who's functionally illiterate than it's ever been before?
2: I understand the argument, but I'd push back on that and actually say I I don't believe that. I think, yes, we can think about it just in terms of jobs, but I would actually argue that in most jobs, having a degree of literacy and being at least functionally literate, is actually incredibly important. Not least because if you are not, you can't read your employment contract. (sighs) And they're actually really important, right? It's really easy for us to actually, for people who are obviously highly literate, it's easy for us to not actually realise how much we rely on our literacy and our ability to be literate, Um, just to participate in our daily lives. Getting up in the morning and
0: going to the fridge, Bromwell Yates is Te Tumuaki, or Chief Executive, of Literacy Aotearoa, a charitable trust which helps adults with low levels of literacy to improve.
1: And all the components of literacy that are just related to having a fridge, whether that's about being able to buy a fridge, have the money to have a fridge, as in the job that's related to that, the um, choices that you make about which fridge you're going to have, the contract that you might need to sign if you're doing an interest purchase of the fridge. There might be other aspects to when you go into the fridge and you look at what's the food in there about how you knew which foods to choose, whether you're able to determine which ones were, say, on sale, discounted, et cetera, which ones were the best ones, again, for your own health and well-being, et cetera. Come out of the fridge, you're putting your kai on, again, you've got power, Um, You need to make sure that you're paying your power on time. You need to be able to read um, when that's due. You need to know if you're receiving a red notice about what that means for you and what you need to do to address that. Mm -hmm. And then there's your kids. They're getting ready for school as well. Some of them didn't do their homework last night because they asked you for some help and you were a little bit whakama, but embarrassed about the fact that you couldn't help them with that. Mm -hmm. So you either left them to it or said you'd get back to it at some other stage. It didn't happen. So they're going to school with their homework, either not done or done to an ability that they don't feel is going to be the greatest that they could turn on. And you know that too. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these different aspects to how literacy can affect not just your getting up in the morning, but the dynamics within the home and then the dynamics within the home and the workplace Mm -hmm or the dynamics within the home and school etc
2: and we also know that with the wealth of information that is available now and it's you know growing at an exponential rate increasingly it's our ability to be incredibly discerning about which information we engage with how we view that whether we trust it those sort of critical literacy skills are growing in importance. And you can't have critical literacy skills if you don't have your basic literacy skills in place first.
0: I wanted to bring that up, yeah, because we hear a lot about the threat of mis- and disinformation and, you know, the misrepresentation, even, even at a high level, the misrepresentation of scientific research to suit a particular agenda. All of this is linked into the idea of literacy, isn't it?
2: It is. So I, I think that's a really important point. And I think a lot of people would in education would say, one of the things that we need to ensure that we're developing in our young people is that ability to be really critical of sources of information and what we're reading. But we need to ensure that young people have those basic literacy skills before we can do that. We can't develop critical literacy skills if people can't actually read the information in the first place and also connect it to a wider body of knowledge that they hold.
0: Broman, you, you largely work with adults, to help improve levels of literacy, which I imagine can, can vary quite a lot from from person to person, but I guess the common theme that you would see in in everybody is that you know most people who are literate learn their literacy in school when they're a child, and so I, I'm
1: just going to stop you for a second, sure, just for a second. when you think about the first times that you heard a story, where were you?
0: Um, well, yeah, no, that's a good point. I was at home with Mum.
1: Exactly. Mm. So we didn't first learn about reading and telling stories and being involved in literacy at school. We learned it way before that. Mm. And we would have learned it through dialogue, you know, because literacy isn't just about reading and writing. It is also about speaking. It is also about listening. It is also about thinking and, and, and being critical and judging Aspects, you know, so people will say, oh, what's critical literacy? And I'll say, think about it like when you're, and, and they'll say to me things like, how is, how is your driver's license related to critical literacy? And mm-hmm. I'll say, well, it's, it's all about knowing why you would stop at an orange light and knowing that that has an impact on, on you if you choose or decide to go across that orange light and into the red zone. That those are critical literacy aspects. Those are the things that te- teach us judgments, that teach us considerations and consequences of what we're about to do. They are all intrinsic components of literacy. Mm. When we think about what it is to be
0: literate, one thing that comes up a lot in this that I'm actually kind of sympathetic to is, what about parents? Where do parents come into all of this? You know, what expectations do you think there should be for parents in the zero to five kind of time period?
2: we know that there's the development of particular skills and knowledge that are really important in terms of a child being able to read so one of the really fundamental building blocks is around oral language mm-hmm. so the more words you're exposed to the more ideas you're exposed to through oral language the easier job you are going to have of reading because essentially what you're doing when you're learning when you're reading is you're mapping the written words onto the oral language that you already know. Mm. So the amount of language you're exposed to makes a big difference. So talking with children, fundamentally important in terms of those early language skills. And that can be developed in a whole range of different ways. Some of it's talking, some of it's through reading stories, reading stories in an interactive manner. It's through songs and singing. It's through rhymes. So a lot of it is around exposure to language in different forms and exposure to text as well, and just experience reading books and developing an appreciation and love of books and what they can offer.
0: Mm. I guess that's linked in as well To I've always heard, I don't know whether this is apocryphal or not, but um, that a good degree of someone's maybe it's economic success or professional success or whatever, it can be linked to the number of books in a household when one is growing up. Like I say, I don't have a source for that. I don't know whether it's true or not, but I suppose that in and of itself introduces a degree of inequality from very early on, and that if you have parents who value reading and education, then you have a massive head start in life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we we know that the amount of reading that a child engages with, and in particular the amount of interactive reading, has, so that's you know not just sitting down and reading a storybook from start to finish, but actually engaging with what's going on, with some of the vocabulary, with what's happening in the pictures, what's, with what's not actually in the text but what can be inferred from it, has massive flow-on effects, not just for literacy and developing the ability to read and write, but also in terms of supporting children's executive function skills and those sorts of things. So it, it is critically important.
0: I read a lot when I was a kid. I used to get in trouble for it. I would read with like a, a light under the covers. I really got into young adult novels. And this is this is a thing that's interesting. Tessa was actually on 99 Nine a couple of weeks ago talking about this, about the death of young adult novels and the lack of respect for books that are written for teenagers. And, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, really. You know, you don't just go from the very hungry caterpillar to crime and punishment yeah I mean do you think that's a that's a an interesting observation
2: yeah it is a really interesting observation and like you I read voraciously yeah. well I still do but particularly you know when I was a child I just devoured books um, and you know a lot of love for Tessa Duda. Yeah. Um <laughs> you know I kind of grew up yeah. in a diet of night raced to owl and yeah. Alex Um but yeah, I think it's a really interesting observation and I listened to Tess's um, interview um, and I think he, he highlighted a number of different things. One is we know that what any of us are reading, but particularly for young people, it's got to be a topic that's interesting to them, Mm. right? Because if it's not something they're interested in, it's really hard to hook them in. And she was making a particular observation about New Zealand, Mm. young adult fiction, Mm. and the fact that it's not promoted. She doesn't believe it's promoted in schools as much as it could be. And I don't actually know whether it is or it isn't, but I think it's a really interesting thing and important thing for us to be thinking about because making sure that young people have access to great books that are going to interest them, Hugely important.
0: Someone might say, with justification in this area, I will never be good at reading. Maybe I'm dyslexic. Maybe it's just not something that I'm I'm good at. And maybe a better way to look at this is to give me more opportunities that capitalise on the things that I am good at, that I am a square peg, and society has a lot of round holes, and rather than trying to hew me into a round peg, maybe the best way of doing things here is to dig some square holes. Yes and no.
2: So, yes, I think absolutely we need to take a strengths-based approach in education. So, you know, we know that we've got a huge number of neurodivergent children going through our school system. We've got children with a range of different interests, capabilities, et cetera. So, yes, we need to make sure that we are recognising and enabling and supporting students' strengths. But at the same time, I don't think that that can be an excuse for why we don't support a child to be able to learn to read and write. And we know that the vast majority of young people, if they are given the right instruction, the right support, they can learn to read and write. You know, you, you gave the example of a dyslexic child. Dyslexic children can read and write, mm. they can be taught to read and write. It's just making sure that the way that they're taught to read and write works for them and their particular needs. I think there are going to be a range of different things we need to do. It's not going to be a just a, if we do this one thing, that's it, we're going to be good. Mm. So we've got to be thinking about multiple things. I think there's absolutely something around the way in which the teaching practice of literacy from very early literacy in your first couple of years of school, so how you actually teach children to read and write, to then how literacy skills are developed across the year levels. And we need to make sure that we are getting our teaching practice right. Mm -hmm. And if you then take a step back from that to say, well, how do we ensure that we're doing that? Well, we've got to make sure that what teachers are learning in their initial teacher education is actually really setting them up for success in the classroom And that the professional learning that's available to teachers is also um, supporting them and upskilling them in ways that are going to lead to improved outcomes for students. I think that there's something that we need to look at around our intervention system and the supports that we're putting in place for students who are struggling or having some difficulties in their literacy. Um, And I think we also need to be looking at... Things around um, how we can support Reading for Pleasure and trying to promote that. And I think coming back to the point around sort of school libraries and what's available in school libraries and making sure that schools actually have libraries and librarians, critical role to play um, within that. And I think we also probably need to look at what's happening in the digital, both within schools and also outside of schools.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Nina Hood and Bronwyn Yates. Matewa.